How many of you believe that you are wise? How many of you consider yourself to be a wise individual? Have you ever considered the people that you hang around with, are they wise or are they fools? To your friends, are you a wise person? If you take account of all your friends today, how many of those whom you considered wise individuals? Or have you ever considered that at all? Another question is, how many of those people influence you? And their influence, are they foolishness or are they wise? Matthew chapter 25, and today we are going to talk about the way we approach Christianity. The title of my message today is The Improvised Christian. You have a test coming. You spend your time studying for the test. You look at the clock and it's midnight. You just start it to study. You go through the material, half of it, and you decide it. That's it. I'm done. I'm just going to wing it tomorrow. So we study maybe half, maybe, if we're really good, three-quarter of the material, and then we close the book and we settle it in our minds, I'm just going to wing it tomorrow. The main reason is you really believe in yourself. You can do it. You can wing it. You will come out okay. That is the mentality. But let me tell you, that is the wrong mentality for a Christian. If you think you're going to wing it when the time comes for your salvation, then you will be locked out because God will not accept winging it. You will not pass the test if you wing it because God has given to us everything that we need to be perfect and He expects us to be perfect. Did you know that? God expects us to be perfect because we have a perfect Father. Jesus says, be ye perfect. So, I looked at my clock, kind of discreetly, 2 o'clock in the morning, and Ju Hung is still talking. This was last night. I thought in my mind, you know what? I'm just going to wing this message tomorrow. So, 2.30, he's still talking. And he knows I have a lot of work. I know I have a lot of work, but I do believe this. I believe not in my own ability, but I believe in the grace of God. Not that I will misuse the grace of God, but that I will make sure that this body has to be put under the power of the Lord. So what has to give? Think about it. So I'm sitting there 2.30 in the morning. I have to wake up because I was in Alameda. He said, at the latest, you have to wake up at 8 o'clock to get here by 9 o'clock. And I want to have at least an hour to pray before I preach in the morning. And he told me, how much time you want to give yourself to prepare for the message? Of course, I've already read and did the research. I just need to put it in a, a cohesive manner so that I can talk about it. But the last thing I want to do is to wing it because that's disrespecting God's Word. And I can't just say, you know what, I'm just going to scribble a couple of verses on a page and then that will be it. What do you think has to give? Sleep. Something has to give. We got back, this room was full of VBS stuff. We had to clean it up. V does all the work, I just like, clean that, clean, clean that. After I got home, I just wanted to take a shower. And I was so happy that Gungan texted me and said, we decided we're too tired to go watch fireworks. I said, amen, thank you, God. I don't have to go back to church. 
because I just wanted to, I want to take a shower. I was, and after I got a shower, I came out and uh, I sat down and I got a phone call from uh, Chu Hung saying that he got into a car accident. Between the program that I need to do, the outline that I need to do, I can't, like other churches, what they're going to do is they, they're going to call the assistant pastor, hey, you preach tomorrow. I have no one to call. There's no one. And I have three messages today that I have to speak. And I can't get out of it. In a family, you tell your husband, you do it. You go and take a shower for him, brush his teeth, change his diaper. I can't call anybody. I'm it. I grabbed a candy bar and I sat down and put on my headphones. And then, you know, of course, you hung call. I was very reluctant. This is very important for me to do the ministry that you have given to me. But it's my family. What's most important to me? Well, both of them are important to me. But there's something that's less important. You know what that, that is? Number one, food. Number two, sleep. I can fit those two things in if I just take away food and I take away sleep. I'm able to stand here with you today. No excuses. I had no sleep. I had migoi yesterday. Chu Hung was kind enough to give it to me before he went to sleep. So if I see you sleeping, I will be very upset. I'm standing here by the grace of God. And that's my message to you today. We cannot wing it. We have to give up something. And we cannot give up God. So you can give up your food. You can give up your TV. You can give up your iPad, your game, your time on Facebook. Whatever it is, give it up. You can give up sleep. But do not wing it. Your faith, never wing it. Don't be an improvised Christian. Never say, at the time when Jesus comes, I'm going to be okay. You're not going to be okay. Matthew chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps, and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Ten virgins. The number ten is a perfect number. You need to have ten people to have a synagogue. You cannot have nine people and have a synagogue. When Boaz wanted to buy Naomi's field or inheritance, he needed ten witnesses. Nine will not do. Ten. When Jesus comes back, he needs ten virgins. A perfect number. Not that Jesus will get married to ten virgins. I'll tell you who the ten virgins are. But the ten meaning it's a perfect number. Now it's time for the king to return or the, for the prince to return. It requires ten virgins to usher the bridegroom. Without ten, it's imperfect, cannot usher the bridegroom. Even though five of them does not get into the wedding, but we still need ten. Virgins are the bridesmaids. You have learned in the past, you think that the virgins are the brides. That's wrong. Virgins are the bridesmaids. What they do is they accompany the bride and they are supposed to speak of the purity, the undefiled love of the prince, of the bridegroom. So the virgins take their lamp and go to the bride's home. And what they do there, they wait 
For when the call goes out and said the bridegroom comes, and what they do is they take their lamp, accompany the bride, and they go out and meet the bridegroom. The bridegroom is the husband-to-be. The bride is the wife-to-be. I saw the, the, the kind of lost look on your faces, so I figure I'll redefine those terms. The bride never mentioned here in the story. And the bride is actually the church, the invisible church of God. And we are the virgins. The bridegroom is Jesus. So Jesus will come back, take his bride with him. We will go with the church into the wedding ceremony. Not only the church has to be a virgin and pure and undefiled, but also the bridesmaids to also be virgins. The story tells you that, that we are in the church, the invisible church of God as virgins, preparing, waiting for the time when the bridegroom come. Now, we know that there are five foolish ones and five wise ones, meaning there are all kinds of virgins in the church today. There are some that will make it into the kingdom of God. Actually, by this story, only half of them make it. The other half didn't make it, even though they were all virgins, meaning they were all perfect on the outside. They were undefined, they separated themselves from the world. These stories will give you a glimpse into what happened after the invitation to come into the wedding feast that we studied the other day. Imagine this, you and I, we are called to separate our lives from the world, undefiled. Meaning, we are in the world, but we are not part of the world, like Jesus prayed for us. So we have separated ourselves from the world, become virgins in waiting in the church. Now, the church of God is invisible. It is not this building. This building is the place where we congregate. But the church, the bride of Christ, is invisible. And we, as the bridesmaid or as virgins, we portray or we represent the bride. So the way that we do that is by the light that we carry. What is this light that we carry with us? Lamps are for visibility. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Lamps are used for visibility. We need the lamp to see where we're going. For the virgins to get to the church, there has to be a light of Christ shining for you to get into the church. And therefore, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So when Jesus came, he shone the light for you and I to go into his church. What we do there, we wait for him. Now, imagine this. Samuel, he was in the temple of God. Eli was also there. Did you know why Samuel is inside the temple? Did you know what his job is? To keep the light burning. See, God has given to the church the light, but it's not God's job to keep it burning. <coughs> Whose job is it to keep it burning? Us, the priests. We are in the church of God so that we keep our lights burning. But how many of you today think that I'm going to light my lamp later? After I finish my school, after I get married, then I start burning for the Lord. Because we all know that Jesus says for us to be the light of the world. But how many of you think that I'm just going to put it off now until after I get married? Then I start serving the Lord. But many of us think that way. 
after my kids are all grown up, then I will serve the Lord. I will start shining the light. After I get a little older, did you know that we violate God's command if our light is not burning in the temple, in the church? If you come into the church, you're part of the church and you're not burning, if your light is not burning, if you're not reflecting Christ in your life. When I got saved, I was a tutor in a tutorial place. One of person whom I tutored before and after my conversion, one day I walked outside and she saw me and she said, I noticed something is different about you now that I didn't see before. So I asked her, what is it that you see? And her response to me was, nothing. I see this emptiness in you. And I didn't understand she was a foreign exchange student. And what she was trying to tell me was that she sees that there is this transparentness to me, that I'm no longer me, I'm someone else. And I realized what she saw was Christ being formed in my life. You see, we as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to become more and more transparent so that the life of Christ might be manifest through us. It is the light that is inside of us need to manifest so that people can see, they can actually see something. Even Christ's enemy, they didn't like him, but they never failed to recognize that he was the truth. He was a person from the Lord. Even though they resist and they reject it, they never deny that he was God. Now, our lives should be the same way. They might look at you, they might reject what you stand for, they might ridicule you for your faith and for your belief, but never should they look at you and they think that you are just like them. You and I, we have to reflect Christ's light and we cannot defer, you know, I have so much work today. Let me finish my school, let me finish my college, let me finish my job, let me make something out of my career and then I will shine for you. Doing that is in violation of God's law. We cannot do that. Today, we have to be shining for God. Light is also Luke chapter 11 verse 33. No man, when he has lighted a candle, put it in a secret place, neither under a bushel but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. This verse does not make any sense unless you understand what the story of the virgins. Where are these virgins? They're inside the church. The virgins are inside the church. Now, the light is being lit inside the temple, not outside. So, people know the temple and they know inside the temple there's light even though they can't see it. The ones that have been shown the light of the gospel will come into the church where they will observe and see the light and they are enlightened. But there are those who are outside the church. They will never see the light, which means this. You are to shine the light inside the church. Some of us think that we need to go into the world and by ourselves shine the light. It is a false doctrine. You cannot exist outside of the temple of God. You cannot exist outside of the church of God. And there are some sects that believe today the church is no longer necessary and they can go on their own, go outside and do their Christian-y things outside the church of God and it's false. It is the wrong doctrine. 
You shine the light inside the bride's residence. And the ones that God bring into the church will see the light. It is our responsibility to come into the vineyard, to work inside the vineyard. That is where Christ is. Now, God will bring people in the church. The lamp, it consumes oil. We all know that. We're going to reserve this oil. We're not going to put on the light until later. Right? And we think that by deferring it later, we're pushing it toward the time that Jesus would come. And that is a false notion. We're thinking, later is when I will serve the Lord. Later. Maybe after some time. We designate it for ourselves. Maybe when my kids are grown. I'm, I'm sure most of the parents in this church think that way. When my kids are grown up, I will start serving the Lord. I'm telling you, that is a wrong notion. That is the notion of a improvised Christian. We think that we will be able to handle it when the time comes. And it's wrong. The oil we know that's consuming and we need to, we have to have fresh supply of oil and we don't know where to get it. And I'll tell you where to get it. We need to have our oil burning all the time. The reason is this. I was sitting there thinking, I need to finish up this outline. My responsibility, I have no one to defer to. So I can either not offer my family to come pick them up. It's an hour. Now that's an hour off my time. It's an hour that I don't have to work on. And then I'm going to be another hour away from the church tomorrow. And if I drive back, that's an, another hour and plus 15 minutes. You know, I do all this calculation because the church is important to me. The church is very important to me. But if I improvise, if I think that I can wing it myself, then I'm actually not operating on the principle of God's grace. I'm not relying on God. I'm relying on my own ability. So what I had to do was I had to step back. And if God puts in my heart to say, I need to do this now, I get up, I drove up an hour to Alameda, and I see what my family needs. And the thing that gave was food and sleep. And that's fine. God will give me the grace cannot say, well, I'm sorry, I need to sleep, so I'm not going to prepare the message. I cannot do that. It cannot be deferred. Maybe the next message will be better if I'm better prepared. I can't do that. It would be wrong, and it is wrong. And you know what? No one here appreciate it. Don't ever think that when you do something nice, or you go out of your way and do something good, that people will appreciate you. Because the nature of lamp is to shine and it will consume oil. The consummation of oil is necessary for the light to burn. And the light is to show the glory of God. The light in your life is to show God. And so you have to be spent so that God can be glorified. If I'm in pursuit to have the cheers, the adoration of men, I will fail miserably. I will walk away from my ministry feeling very, very sad. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. He made this conclusion, and this is my conclusion. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Our lives should be this oil that is consumed by God's fire. 
The reason why we keep deferring it because we don't want to spend it for God. We don't want to spend our precious life for God, but we have missed the greatest sacrifice that God himself spent his life for us. Jesus gave up everything. Did you know? Jesus gave up his... I'm older than Jesus when he gave his life for me. Think about that. And what did he get in return? Anytime we believe that whatever we do, people will appreciate it, it's a false notion. Don't let your mind think that people will appreciate because if we latch onto that, we will be so miserable and devastated when we realize people are not. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. This is the economy. We are oil. We will be spent so that God will be glorified. And when He is glorified, we in return, will be part of this fire. You see, the oil is not that important. It is the light that is important. And when you are spent, you become part of the fire, which is the reason why the oil exists in the first place, to be spent. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Which one are you? To identify the foolish and the wise, we need to prepare. It doesn't matter if we prepare a little or a lot, we need to prepare. We need to prepare our lives, we need to prepare. Our Christian work should be always in preparation. We cannot wing it. Okay? You cannot say, when it comes to that time, I know what to say. No, you can't. You have to study. If you don't study the Word of God, how do you know what to say? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to speak through me. Well, it's a lie. The Holy Spirit only invokes the things that you already have in your heart and make life out of it. You have to spend the time and prepare you cannot wing it. You cannot improvise when the time comes because then you will speak out of your own ability. Then you will operate out of your own ability. Improvised Christians are foolish because they think they would, would be able to do it by themselves. They cannot. The wise one bring an extra vessel is more oil. That's all you need to do. Prepare, put oil in there. What is oil? Oil is the grace of God. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is the change in your heart. Now, I will talk about this later, but in the Songs of Solomon, I sleep, but my heart awakes. See, this flesh is weak. It will sleep, but the grace of God is always awake in your life. If you have the grace of God, you know that the grace of God sustains you even though your body isn't able to, like I'm standing here right now. In my flesh, I should be falling over sleeping. On my way this morning, eight o'clock, I drove down here, and five minutes in, I just want to fall over and, and sleep. Even thought about, I'm just gonna pull over on the side, I'm gonna see, I don't care. You know, God takes care of His church, but I can't. So by the grace of God, He brought me here, got here, and I almost ran into the church. I actually did run into the church. By the grace of God, he cuts the chain. And so, I'm okay. I didn't run over the chain. Someone cut the chain. We have to put the chain so that we stop people, 4th of July, coming to the church parking lot to trash it yesterday. But someone cut it. And I was so asleep, I drove right into it. But thankfully, someone cut it. So I just drove over it instead of right through it. If you devote yourself 
to God. Even if I drove through the chain, it doesn't really matter. Right? I'm saying it so that we don't put our hope in the superfluous things. We put our hope in God. And whatever situation and circumstances they bring you to, you know, even the accident there, maybe they think that it's inconvenience for them, but it was a lesson for me. Where is my heart? God brings it out. You know, in your VBS, the second day, check your heart. Where's your heart? Do you love your family? You love people more than the work? Even though both is important. But do you think that God can sustain you? And I'm here to tell you, God can and God will sustain you. And He will give you the power to do exceedingly beyond what you think you are able to do. So what I'm telling you is, I'm standing here talking to you is of the grace of God. Not of my own. I cannot do this. I will fall over if God does not uphold me. And I do that. After this, I probably will fall over. And to conclude, do you know the reason why we prepare? Do you know the reason why we prepare? What's the reason why you prepare for anything at all? To pass, why do you want to pass something? What is the reason? What is, what is the reason behind all of the things that you do to prepare? What is it? It's love. We prepare because we love. We don't prepare because we don't love or not enough. We prepare for anything at all is because we love. Think about it. Maybe some of you are too young, but when you're in love, you dress up, you put on your makeup, you do your hair, you even bring a flower, a teddy bear, or some chocolate. You dress appropriately, you even call each other, hey, what color are you wearing today? And you can compliment each other. Why do we prepare? We love. We prepare because we, we wing it because we don't care. That's it. That's essentially it. And my question to you is, how much do you love the appearance of Jesus Christ? How much do you love Jesus? You can see it in the level of preparation in your life. If you love the Lord, if you really love Jesus Christ, if He's everything to you, then you would prepare. You prepare your lamp, you prepare your oil, you prepare your life because you know He's coming. Now if you don't, after maybe a year and a half of knowing the girl, you just show up in your shorts and flip-flops and she's looking at you and said, what gives? We know each other well enough, you know, it doesn't matter. When the love is no longer there, we just wing it. We improvise. You know, we figure it out when it's there. Her birthday comes, you go, that morning, you run to Target, going through, ah, this card's good enough. And then you go out in the car, no pens, you run over, knock on the door of the guy's name. Hey, can I borrow a pen? Thank you. You scribble some word and you, you draw a little heart. Now you just send a text message. Happy birthday. I hope you're okay. When love fades, the preparation, the level of preparation also goes with it. And you know, look at your family, those of you who are married. You know, how do you treat each other? Do we prepare? Do we spend time? How is your love with the Lord? Do you prepare? Let's all stand. Lord, I pray that each one of us here would not take your love for granted, that we will not go one day and thinking that we will improvise when we hear that call. But I pray, Lord, that we begin to give up everything, if needs be, that we prepare for you. Make your, your love so sweet in the depths of our heart. I sleep, but my heart awake, longing for, for you, longing to be touched by you. 
I pray that each one of us will come to a place where we are so raptured, so captivated, so passionately drawn to you that we, we can't stay still, that we seek you every moment of our lives. We cannot but burn passionately for you. I pray that each one of us will come to the place in our spiritual walk that we can't wait for the day that you would appear to see your face, that glorious Christ will come. The sound of the trumpet, the voice calling, the bridegroom comes, and we with our preparation will run out to you. We have been prepared for this time. Lord, help us, Lord, the church, each person here to prepare, to prepare for you. Help us to give up the non-essential things, the superfluous things in our lives, and help us, Lord, to make preparations in our hearts for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.